Let us turn in the Gospel of Luke to the chapter 1 and we come to verses 31 through to 33 and in these verses we come to the heart of Gabriel's announcement to Mary. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. The text here is marked out with a behold in verse 31. It starts with a behold, and behold, thou shalt conceive. A gentle word to Mary as he gives the announcement, to listen attentively. He wants her to carefully consider what is being told her, but the behold here is not just for Mary. It's written down for us too, isn't it? Because it's in the text. It's in the word of God and what's written is for us. And I have to remind you again, congregation, that our minds so easily stray. Even now perhaps that's what's happening. You're looking somewhere else. You're thinking about something else. But the Holy Spirit is calling you here this morning to give him your attention. He knows our, our attention spans are very poor. And from time to time we need a sharp call. Look! Look at this! Think on this! Focus on this! So this word behold is the Spirit's call to you today. If there's a word you have to obey now, it's this word. Look! Focus! The word is addressed to the eyes more than to the ears. Because it means, look, see, behold. And that's an address to the eyes. There's something here to see, Mary. I don't want you just to hear it. I want you to see it. I want it to be real and true, a reality to you. Not just words sounding in your ears, but divine truths that you see through eye gate and enter into the very depths of your heart. We are to see with our mind's eye. And the Bible aids that considerably because it is always giving us, as you know, word pictures. The Bible is interested in us seeing the truth. And this morning in this announcement of the angel, I have to say there's something wonderful to see. You'll never see a better thing because it's all about Christ. Every word of it is about Jesus. This is a Christ-centered word that Gabriel is giving. The angel declares the Son of God. Heaven preaches Christ too. And this Gabriel is doing that. Now we know that men mostly do it. And men in the church are called to do it. But sometimes angels 
have been honoured to do it. And this is a case at hand. We read in Luke chapter 2 that there was another angel who said, Unto you was born this day in the city of David a Saviour which is Christ the Lord. So angels proclaim Christ. You remember in the book of the Revelation, whenever we looked at that vision that John saw, he said, I saw an angel fly in the midst of heaven, and he had the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. So in some ways, we're not sure how angels facilitate gospel preaching. They help it, they aid it, they aid the minister, they aid the church as they carry that out. But occasionally, they even do it themselves. And that's what's happening this morning. Gabriel is preaching Christ. Gabriel is the first evangel. And Mary certainly took on board that behold. It concerns her womb. She's going to listen. She's going to look. She's going to see. If she never looked before, she's going to stir her eyes away at this truth concerning her womb. In a sense, I don't think Mary needs to be told, behold. She drinks up every word anyway. She's the kind of one who collects the word of God and ponders it in her heart and meditates over it. And all of this she has done. She, she, She retains this word. And as I say, she hardly needs to be told, behold. But none of us have the heart of the Virgin Mary. And we are the ones who need to be told it. And so this is not just for Mary, this is for us. Focus now. Focus as if it's your story. As if it entails your eternal life. As it does. So let the Holy Spirit have your whole attention just now. And consider this with a heart that is ready to capture every word, every truth, everything that there is to learn about your dear Savior, Jesus Christ. So let us look then. Now the thing that struck me in this text, and no doubt there are many things that strike different preachers, but the thing that struck me in these verses is the multiple use of the conjunction, and. It commences the verse itself, and, behold, And I suggest that you might underline the conjunction every time that it occurs. Verse 31, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth the Son, and shall call his name Jesus, he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and... He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. That's what jumps out to me. Those those conjunctions. It's just a little word. But the angel puts it in every time. Like like a nail. Penning it in. There, There it is. The nail's hammered in. Now look what it's hanging up. And there's another nail hammered in. Look what it's holding up. Seven nails. Seven nails. 
This is Greek, of course, but in, in the Hebrew, the conjunction is just one letter. And it's like a nail. Just one letter. And the sentence is hung on it. So this is a, an easy sermon to outline. Seven ands. A seven-point sermon. The seven ands to Mary. The seven prophetic ands that she heard from the mouth of Gabriel. Now the usual way to go through these is to follow the order in which Gabriel gives them. The linear order. The chronological order as he speaks it. And that order is important if you're hearing it for the first time. But we're not hearing it for the first time. We can stand back and we can look at the whole staircase to see its artistry. So we don't have to start at the bottom and work up the way Mary had to go up whenever she heard it. We can stand back and we can look at the whole staircase and we don't necessarily have to start at number one. We can start anywhere according to the artistry. And this is a seven-step staircase. And of course the landing, that's where you have forever and ever. It goes on forever and ever. After the seventh step, the landing goes on into eternity, into the new heavens and the new earth. That's at the very top. That's the climax. But midway, number four is the middle point. When you have an odd number, you've got a middle Four is the middle. And midway, there's a, a semi-landing. That's the very heart of the matter. That's where we're starting. Step number four. That little semi-landing that contains such great divine truths. And then we go back to number one and we work our way up. So the semi-landing here, the text before us, we're starting in the center. And the center is Verse 32. And shall be called the Son of the Highest. That's the heart of the seven statements. He's going to be called the Son of the Highest. That's where we're commencing. The end of divine sonship. What is this story all about? What is this fuss about a baby boy. What is so special about him? Why is Gabriel here at all? What's it all meaning? Why do we even need a virgin birth? And here's the answer. As you stand in the midst of the staircase, he's called the son of the highest. That means the son of God. The highest is another name for God in the Bible. Gabriel is using that and Luke is writing that. The highest. And this babe is the son of the highest. That's what you need to know about him more than anything else. That's the most important thing of all. He is the son of God. And it's repeated again in verse 35. That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He's called the Son of the Highest. He's called the Son of God. You see how important it is? Gabriel puts it in the middle. And then in his next time that he speaks, he mentions it again. The Son of God. So that's the most important thing to know about all of this.
This one coming into the world is the Son of God. That's his identity. That's his person. That's who he is. This is so vital, congregation. This is the heart of the gospel. And this is why it's put in the center. And this is why it is repeated. This is just not the ordinary child. This is not just a mere child. Not a mere man. There is more to him. He is called the Son of God. Being called the Son of God isn't like the name that Mary gives to him. The name that she has to give to him is Jesus. You'll call him Jesus. But he's called the Son of God. That, that's who he is, you see. That's what the people know him to be when they get to know him. That's the Son of God. That's who he is. He's given this name by men when they recognize him. And devils when they recognize him. We know thee who thou art, the Son of God. The Holy One of Israel. He's the Son of God. Called that because he, he is that, you see. It's like King George. He's called the king. Why is he called the king? Why would you call him the king? Because, you see, he is the king. You're called maybe a wife, or you're called maybe a husband, or you're called maybe a father or a mother. Why are you called that? Because that's what you are. Either a wife or a husband or a father or a mother or a daughter or a son. That's who you are. You're called that because that's what you are. And Jesus is called Son of God because that's who he is. That's what he is. That's not what he became when he was born. He's not being made a son of God in the womb. And he's going to become a son of God. No, that's who he is. That's his identity. That's his person. He has a relationship to God before he had a relationship to David. And before he had a relationship to Mary. He had a before, before this conception. And that before is... He's the Son of God. And that's what he is still, the Son of God. And that's what he is when he was on the earth, the Son of God. So the angel is really explaining here that portion that we read here, expounding here that portion that we read in Isaiah 9. A child is born, but he's a son that is given. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He gives his son. And in giving his son, a child is born. Because he couldn't be given to us unless he was born to be given to us. To be made man. To become into the house of David and to reign over it. So the angel is making clear that this person is not commencing in the womb. His humanity commences, but he is not commencing there. The one conceived is called, not miscalled, but called the Son of God, the true Son of God. Having the divine nature, God of God, light of light, all that God is, 
eternal, uncreated, unmade, only begotten, eternally begotten, an eternal relationship with the Father in the mystery of the Godhead, the Son of God, by whom all things were made, and now being made himself flesh in the virgin's womb. So before he was in the womb of the virgin, he was and continued to be and still is the son in the bosom of the father. So there's more here than just humanity. There's divine sonship too. And that's why it's set forth there in the middle. And we have to stand in that semi-halfway landing to think about this. As we look down on the conception and the birth, he's the son of God. And as we look up to what is before us in the great eternity, he's the son of God who brings us there. And so we must know Christ did not begin to be the son of God. He began to be the son of man, but did not begin to be the son of God. He was a son when he was sent, a son when he was given. And that's the heart of the gospel. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And so the eternal word was made flesh. So you see then why we start here and why this is place central. So he left heaven, the Son came into the world, the Son was sent, and he came among us. How? By what means? Yes, he did visit us before, he made appearances, we call them theophanies, but this is different. He's visiting us in a unique way, he's coming in a special manner. How? And this is the answer now. We go down to step one. We know who he is. We go to step one now. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. So he comes into the world by the and of conception and the and of birth. Thou shalt conceive and You'll bring forth. So we have nine months there in those two nails. Conceive. Nine months later, and bring forth the Son. So the Son of God did not possess a baby boy. And as it were, the baby boy is conceived, and the Son of God sort of inhabits him and possesses him. That's not the way it is. No. A baby boy just born that the Son of God takes control of and possesses another person so that there are two persons. A Son of God controlling another person. No, no, that's not the story. No, he is the baby boy. He is conceived in the womb of the virgin. He is born of a woman. So a nine-month period here is described to tell us that it commences at conception. 
And the whole nine months he's the son of God in her womb. Growing and developing in his humanity. As he was made flesh. He's made flesh at the conception. In the miracle of the incarnation. And he develops a perfect time span of nine months. Nine months later born of her in Bethlehem as we read. Christ is conceived and brought forth. That's the truth. He is made flesh himself. That is what the angel is saying here. But notice how he expresses it. He doesn't just say Christ is conceived and brought forth. He says, Thou shalt conceive and thou shalt bring forth a son. So he's making Mary to be active in it, to be part of it. It's not just that Mary's a vehicle, a kind of an incubator, and Jesus is just put in there, and she's a vehicle and an incubator just carrying this, this new thing. No. He's of her substance. He's of her material. You'll conceive. He'll be your son. He'll be your child. You'll bring him forth. You'll bear him. So Mary has a connection to Jesus. He will be of your substance. And you will be his mother truly. The mother of the Lord. The mother of the Son of the Highest. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. Made of a woman. Made under the law. Bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, of her human substance. This is why this behold is here. Look at it, Mary. It's a wonder. It's a miracle of miracles. Look at it. You'll conceive in your womb. And she knows he's talking about virgin birth, as we'll see tonight. She knows. You will bear him. She recalls the scripture. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Gabriel is expanding on Isaiah. Using the words of Isaiah to some extent. And Mary knows. And these are promises to be fulfilled. And we read that it was fulfilled. She brought forth her firstborn son. She didn't just bring forth a boy. She didn't just bring forth a son. That some other way was put inside him. And she's just the incubator carrying him. No. He's your son. Your firstborn. Mary's very special. And that was fulfilled in her, and the rest will be also. And we move on to the third. And shall call his name Jesus, he shall be great. And here we have the and of a great name. The child is to be named Jesus. And everybody knows what that means. It means saviour, it means deliverer. Because that's what he's going to do. He's going to be a saviour. He's going to be a deliverer. He's going to be like Joshua. Joshua is the first Joshua of the Old Testament. Jesus is the last Joshua. 
the fulfillment, the reality, the true deliverer who frees us from sin. Joshua, you will remember, brought the people of Israel into the land of promise. Moses didn't do that. Moses could take them out, but he couldn't get them in. Joshua got them in. The Lord Jesus Christ does all of that truly. Takes us out of our sins. And brings us into the eternal, into the new. Forever and ever. The Joshua who does that. The Joshua who brings us up the staircase with them into the great eternity. It's our Jesus that does that. He'll be called Jesus. He shall be great. Now you expect another and here in verse 32. And he shall be great. But he doesn't put an and in here. Because the greatness belongs to the name here. You see, great Jesus. He'll be great Jesus. He'll be a great saviour. And Gabriel wants to preserve the number seven in the ands. And so he doesn't put in an and here and make eight. He's saying that this greatness relates to his name. And I take this to refer to his life on earth. Because the angel is going through chronologically here. His life on earth, he'll be Jesus. He'll be great. And so he was. He did great things. He was a great deliverer in his flesh when he walked among men. He did great sign miracles, great wonders. That manifest his greatness and showed him to be the one who truly belonged to the next step. The son of God, the son of the highest. Many poor and needy discovered his greatness. And they praised his greatness too. You remember Legion? That man who was possessed by devils and the Lord Jesus came and set him free and did a great thing. And he wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you can't come with me at this time. I want you to go home. And I want you to tell them what great things the Lord did for you. He'll be great. And he'll do great things. You remember the paralyzed man. He was not only healed of us being paralyzed, but he was also forgiven of all his sins. And what did the people, whenever they saw that, what did they do? They said, we never saw it in this fashion. This is great. This is magnificent. And they all glorified God and were amazed. And then you remember the dumb, the dumb who spake. And whenever he spake, the multitudes, they marveled and they said, it was never so seen in Israel. He'd be great on the earth. He'd be great in his ministry. You'll see the great things that he does, Mary. You'll watch them yourself. You'll hear them. And then the man born blind. And he gave him new eyes. That was a great work, wasn't it? Even the blind man said, since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one born blind? Never was heard. And maybe blindness has recovered who people who could see and they got it back again. But someone who had no eyes, who was born without eyes, who was born with the optic nerve severed and couldn't see a thing, it was never heard that he ever saw. There's no cure for being born blind until Jesus came along. He'd be great. Where do you see Mary? And so that was fulfilled in his life. And then his great cross work, this great salvation that he wrought in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. The great one who died for our sins 
And so it means his, his death will be a great death. His blood will be great atoning blood. And his resurrection will have life and power for all sinners. His pardon is great. A so great salvation Jesus brings. The last three ands relate to his kingdom. We have conception, birth, life, death, greatness. His resurrection seemed to be the son of the highest, especially in his resurrection from the dead. What now? What now? And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. You notice that these last three are connected together with the idea of kingship and reigning and ruling. He's the one promised to David. The Lord God will give unto him the throne. God promised that to David. He made an oath about it actually. He swore. He says, I've sworn in truth unto David. I'll not lie. I'll not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body, I will set upon thy throne. Wow. For a thousand years, that didn't look like it was going to happen. But now there's one born who is fulfilling it. Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David. We read at Jeremiah 23, a righteous branch and a king. A king. And so this child, the son of God, born of the virgin, is born to be king. But he must first die and rise from the dead and then ascend up into the highest and into eternity. Forever and ever. Jesus Christ reigns now. Jesus Christ is King of Kings now. Jesus Christ has all kingdoms and all dominions now. We must not think that his kingdom is of this world and that he literally must sit in the midst of that city where he was crucified, Jerusalem, as David did. We must not think of the word of God in that way and the fulfillment of it in Jesus Christ. We're not going back to the material and the earthly, and a mere bit of landscape in Israel, he's bringing us to something far better than that. Into the eternity. Into the ever and ever, the eschatos. The new heavens and the new earth. Our king. And so he has commenced his reign now. As Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Not earth merely, not the land of Israel only, but heaven and earth, the whole cosmos. He's power over the whole cosmos. He has it now. It's fulfilled in him now. He reigns now. He's king now. At God's right hand, the Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. He's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world now, but in the world that is to come. He has that power and dominion now. And it's fulfilled now. Well, you might say, but it's not David's throne, literally. It's not what David expected. A wee palace in Jerusalem and a wee earthly throne there. No, it's not. It's far, far more than that. 
If a king says to a man, here's a field, that's your field. Do it as you please, reign and rule over it, govern it. And you know something, whenever your son comes, he can reign and govern over it too. Forever. Forever. And when the son comes, the king doesn't just give him the field that he promised him, he gives him the whole estate, the whole dominion, the whole lot. Will any of us say that he never kept his word, that he didn't get the field? Of course not. David might not have understood what he meant whenever God says, I'll give you, I'll give you one on your throne who'll reign forever. He didn't realize the dimensions of that throne when God promised it to him. He just thought it was a, a wee piece of landscape in the world. And there are thousands of people that still think that. That all Jesus is after is a wee piece of landscape in, in Israel. Jesus Christ is interested in far more than that, I can tell you. He's interested in the whole cosmos. The new heavens and the new earth. And that's what he brings. And it's not about landscape. It's about souls. It's about people. It's about the redeemed. It's about being over the house of Jacob. Being over the seed of Abraham. It's about all Israel and Jews and Gentiles saved. The whole church of Jews and Gentiles the seed of Abraham in union with the true seed, Jesus Christ, forever and ever. The question is, are you in his kingdom? The question is, is he your king? Is he your king, your savior? Are you a citizen of his? Are you surrendered and devoted to him. Is he your trust? Are you looking unto him? Are you considering him? Are you keeping your eyes on the heavenly Zion where he reigns? As he brings in soon the consummation of all things. Is he your king? If he's not entered the kingdom. Don't remain far from it. Don't remain outside it. But enter it. Enter it by faith. And never leave it. Take him as your king. And you shall be his servant forever and ever. On to the end of the ages. What a glorious hope the people of God have. How, how did Newton put it? When we've been there 10,000 years. Bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amen.